hope you're overwhelmed with the glory of God. We're going to focus on that as we look in Haggai chapter 2. And I'm really excited about this series, The Time Is Now, from the book of Haggai. And I'm really looking forward to today's message. And so I just want you to get ready for what the Lord wants to give you. I'm very concerned for those that are here who are frustrated. Anybody here have a frustrating week? Let's see your hands. How many of you want to raise your hands, but you're so frustrated, you're sick and tired, you're not going to raise your hand? Yeah. How many of you got just kind of discouraged this week? Maybe it was on the job, maybe it was in your marriage, maybe it was in family situations, maybe, you, maybe it was just bill paying week and you just got discouraged, anybody? Yeah, a lot, lot of us. So this message is really for those who are frustrated, discouraged, maybe depressed, maybe a little anxiety prone. Maybe those who struggle with, with doubt. William Ward gives this wonderful definition of discouragement. It's not clinical, but it's relatable. He says this, discouragement is de- dissatisfaction with the past, distaste for the present, and distrust for the future. It is ingratitude for the blessings of yesterday, indifferences to the opportunities of today, and insecurity regarding strength for tomorrow. He goes on to say, it is the unawareness of the presence of beauty, unconcerned for the needs of fellow man, and unbelief in the promises of old. It is impatience with with time, immaturity of thought, and impoliteness to God. Isn't that a great, relatable description of frustration and discouragement? I kind of think they're two sides of the same coin. And so when I say one, you can kind of, you know, flip it and, and, and say the other one or, or use them that way. So we're going to talk about that. Here's today's encouragement for the discouragement. All right? Here it is. The Bible never says you and I have to figure, all, figure it all out. But the Bible over and over and over says, have faith in God who's got it all figured out. That's the difference. So because the book of Haggai is a very historical book, I mean, he more than any other book in the Bible pinpoint days, months, and, and times of years, I want us to make sure we got our history right. So let me again give you a little bit of Haggai history 101 in 587. B.C., the most traumatic event in the history of Israel happened when Jerusalem fell. The northern kingdom had, had fell earlier, uh, some years earlier. Now the southern kingdom, so Israel, no longer existed. It was carried away into Babylonian captivity with the best and the brightest and the poor and the destitute. And the old and the infirmed were left in the ransacked, burnt down, temple destroyed ruins of Jerusalem. In 538, Cyrus the Great goes in uncontested and captures Babylon. And the power of the seat of power transfers from from east to west. And now Persia is a world empire. And Cyrus then, a couple of years later than that, decides to resettle the homelands of the conquered people that he destroyed. He had a policy of reinstituting the gods. Little G, he didn't believe in any god. He just didn't want to tick off any god. So he reinstituted this policy where he would fund the resettlement of the land so that the god of that land could be worshipped. So he funded the exile's return from Babylon captured by Nebuchadnezzar, funded their return back to Jerusalem and would fund the rebuilding of the temple. 
Now, I'm telling you, if some guy walks into Kirby Church and says, Pastor, build a church anywhere you want to, buy the land anywhere you want to, build it however you want to, we are saying yes, amen, and yes. All right? Now, if some guy comes in and says, hey, you guys are going to have to pay for it, we'll go, okay, we'll talk about that. But somebody else pays for it, man, we're all about it. So in 536, the Jews went back to Jerusalem, began to resettle, and they started work on the temple. But because of opposition, because of slow progress, because of just being beat down for almost 50 years of captivity, they couldn't sustain strength, they couldn't keep momentum, they couldn't contain inertia, and work soon stopped on the temple. In 520 BC, God calls two prophets, Zechariah, next book over in the Bible, and then he also calls Haggai to preach a message of hope and basically says, all right, now the time is now. And in Haggai chapter 1, his message was just complete. Time is now. God is with us. Let's go to work. You know, go up to the mountain, bring the lumber down, build. You know, that was was the message. Now it's seven weeks after the message of chapter 1. Seven weeks after the message of chapter 1. And here's message for the discouraged. He says, be strong. Be strong. Matter of fact, if you look at Haggai chapter 2, you're going to see two causes of frustration. Right there and, and discouragement in Haggai chapter 2. Chapter the first one is comparison. One cause of discouragement and frustration is comparison. And look at the verse. The verse says this in verse 3. Does anyone remember this house? Talking about the temple. This temple in its former splendor, in its former majesty, the one that Solomon built. I mean, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. People from all over the world would come and look at its grandeur and its beauty and its, and its just, I mean, just incomprehensible, I mean, just gorgeous. And he says, so in comparison to what you heard about that one, How does the rubble look to you now? It has to seem like nothing at all. This is not very encouraging news, is it? Comparison will frustrate the life out of you. What the children of Israel were apparently doing is they would, as they were laying the brick, as they were cleaning the debris, as they were were looking back on what they had, and they couldn't enjoy what they had, And so they missed out and were missing out on the presence of God, his favor, and his beauty. This thing of comparison is just huge. I don't know about you, but I get incredibly frustrated a lot of times when I compare where other people are with where I'm not. And what the children of Israel were doing is they were comparing their start on the second temple with someone else's finish, the glory, the the beauty of Solomon's completed temple. And we are like that all the time. Man, we compare our beginning to someone else's finish. A young convert in the faith, giving their heart to Jesus Christ and following the Lord. They will look at somebody who's older and more mature in Christ and look at their start compared against somebody else's finish. And they'll go, man, I'm just not getting it done. And that can be very, very, very frustrating. See, the comparison game will beat you down. Amen? It kind of goes like this. Somebody says, well, he's got a great job and my job stinks. He's got a great house and I'm just renting this 
cruddy apartment. He's got a beautiful wife and mine is... I'm not talking about me, people. I'm just like... They've got wonderful kids. No, I hate my kids. I mean, we do this comparison thing all the time, don't we? You know, the boss likes him better than me. She cooks better than I do. And oh my goodness, it just goes on and on. For a, for a, a lady, it, it might go something like this, you know. They, you might be comparing your kids versus her kids. And her kids go to school with perfect matching outfits and, and freshly baked baking goods every single day. And they have college credit by the time they're completing the fifth grade. And you're not even, you're not even sure if your kids have clothes on when they go to school, you know. I mean, it's just, we compare ourselves, and all of a sudden, the people that we compare ourselves to look better than what they really are, and we look worse than what we really are, and we just get frustrated and beat down and beat down. It's just discouraging. Man, it just is discouraging. Man, if you really want to be a massive loser, go on social media. Dude, now, I don't know the difference. I promise you, I don't know the difference between a like, a message, and a notification, or a poke. I don't know the difference between any of that. All I know is that, that you see stuff, and I think people lie out the wazoo on Facebook. I do. I mean, somebody will say, I had a wonderful day. I go, I don't believe that. I mean, I just, I do. But, man, if you want to get depressed... Just watch what other people do on Facebook. That's depressing. Having a great time in Cancun. For the second week in a row. You know? And here we are. We're just excited for, you know, one day of sun in 35 degree weather. Amen? You're talking to me about Cancun? I deserve a little Cancun. Don't you ever feel that way? Oh my goodness, it goes, it goes on and on. And then, and then somebody posts something and then they hit the likes. Now, I didn't know how big this was. I was overhearing a, a conversation. It was, it, was, it was several weeks ago, but I was overhearing conversations. Some teenagers, and, and I'm not quite, I think you hit the thumbs up button to like. I, I really don't. Anyway, they, they were kind of complaining their picture, and, and somebody else's picture got more likes than their picture, but they like their picture better than, than somebody else's picture. And then, have you ever done dub smash? Oh, people. <laughs> Download the app dump, dub smash. I, I should show you. Abby and Austin, I didn't know what it was either. We went out to, out to eat with them, and they, they showed us what it was. My wife did this hilarious thing on dub smash. I, I should put it up here because she's not in the service. But, but it, it's, it's, anyway, people just compare it, and they go, oh, she got more like than, than that person. And, and so we go, because they got more likes on their picture than I got more likes on their picture, that people must like them before they like me, and it's just like I'm nothing. That is so... Listen, you cannot compare yourself to anybody. You are one of a kind. You are uniquely unique. There is nobody else like you. Thank goodness for that. Amen? 
But you and I cannot compare ourselves to anyone because we are uniquely created, not in the comparative image of someone else. We are created in the image of a holy God who loved us enough, thought us unique enough, thought us of value enough that he gave his only begotten son to die on Calvary's cross for your sins and my sins and demonstrated his love because on the third day he rose again, just as he said. Man, I'm telling you, God's love. So we kind of beat ourselves down with this whole comparison game. And the second reason Haggai points out for discouragement is his lack of progress. His lack of progress, slow progress. By the way, trying really hard plus slow progress equals frustration, amen? Trying really, really hard plus slow progress equals frustration look at verse 3 again here's what he said what Haggai said in chapter 2 and verse 3 and and it's really that last line that he kind of sticks it to him just a little bit and it talking about this second temple with nobody working on it with the foundation still kind of in ruins not really much many more bricks on it than what it was seven weeks ago it this Compared to that, seems like nothing at all. Well, they had been working on it. And this was such a slow go. And the memory of that was so glorious. They just thought they could never achieve what it was when in fact Darius or Cyrus had given them ample money. Matter of fact, if they would have built when he allowed them to build, the building that they could have built would have been bigger than Solomon's temple. But when you are just under years, weeks, months of frustration and discouragement, man, you lose momentum, you lose traction, you lose initiative to get out and do what God has called you to do. And so they were frustrated by this slow progress. You know, you would like, lack of progress becomes discouraging. You know, you would think by this time, and this is how we think when we think of lack of progress, sometimes we think, you would think by this time in our spiritual journey, we'd make more progress in our faith. And when we look back and we realize that we're still struggling with sin, that we're still struggling with our own sinfulness, We have the Bible and we know we should read it and and there it just kind of sits on the coffee table or we just kind of leave it in the car or or worse yet, you just kind of leave it in church. And we get so frustrated with us that we're not farther along in this project of being more like Christ than we should be. We get so frustrated because of that lack of progress. And sometimes it's, it's, it gets a little monotonous. Can you imagine those guys laying the brick, brick after brick? Brick after brick, what do we do now? Hand me another brick. Mortar. What do we do now? Hand me another brick. Mortar. Hand me another. And that's repetitive over and over. And I think we get so frustrated. The walls were so long, they had to go so high. God wants our faith to go so deep and we seem to make such lack of progress. We want to know more about Jesus, but we don't put, do the repetitive work necessary to grow deeper in our faith. And lack of progress just frustrates us. 
we need God to move on our scene and we know we ought to pray, but we don't. Or when we pray, it's often that same repetitious prayer that we just kind of prayed last week and, and maybe the week before and the month before. And it seems like a lot of times when we just don't see much progress in our spiritual growth, we get so discouraged and so defeated. We get so frustrated. That's what happened to the children of Israel. Man, they were just at their wit's end. It could be a number of things. Some of you, man, with your kids, you're praying for your kids and you're giving them good advice and you're trying hard, man, and you're, you're laying just brick after brick and you're doing that, that repetitive routine stuff of mom and daddy and, and parenting and, and, and you're giving them wise advice and you consistently watch your kids make the stupidest decisions that anybody could ever make. And that's frustrating. Some of you, you look at your marriage and, and you're trying to make it work and you are, you're trying to find out, you know, you're not on the same page. You're, you're, you're not even trying to find out the page. You're trying to find out what book each other's on. And you try so hard doing the repetitive things that married couples have to do over and over to build up a godly Christian marriage. And it seems so hard and the work seems so slow that you wake up one morning and you go, I don't even know if it's worth it anymore. I'm telling you, you might as well agree with me. Slow progress can be a crippling, crippling, discouraging element in our life. Can I be honest with you? Man, I... You tell me what you think, and I may not share this with second service, but because you're special, I live with a constant sense of frustration. You say, you? <laughs> oh, yeah, this guy. You don't act like it. Yeah, I know. Dude, I live with such a constant. Some days it's high, some days it's, it's medium. I live with this constant grade of frustration. It just almost seems like it never goes away. I always feel frustrated. You say, why? I feel frustrated with my own sinfulness. Dude, I, I'm the guy who should be way farther along in my, my spiritual journey. I should have more progress under my belt than, than what I feel that I do. And I just get so frustrated with me. I can empathize with Paul, what Paul said. Paul said, the good things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. I feel that way. You say, well, you're our pastor. I know. Not much to choose from. Live with it. You say, okay. Let me, I, I, I get frustrated because I never feel like a sermon is good enough. I never feel like it's good enough for God. Matter of fact, I promise you, this is absolutely true. Sunday, I, I don't have a chair, but when I, or Friday, about 11 o'clock when I finished up and I, I just had to come to a place where I said, I, I literally... You know, I'm looking at it on the computer screen, and I put my head down like this. You can see my bald spot. I put my head down on my table in my office, and I, went, and I prayed a prayer. I said, God, these are just words on a paper. I don't even like most of them. And unless your power blesses them and brings them to life, nothing will happen Sunday. And you know what's going to happen? I promise you, all day I can't shut my mind off. 
I'll go, oh man, I should have said that there. Would have been great to put a better slide in right there. Why did I say that there? Are you kidding me? I, I, I really said that? I, I just, it's just this frustration because God has so been so good to me. I want to give him the very best that I have. And, and when I don't hit that mark, oh, it's frustrating. And then I let you guys down. Man, that's frustrating. We dropped the ball. I dropped the ball as a pastor. You guys know I do. We all do, all four of us. We don't intend to. Our church drops the ball sometimes. And that's so frustrating to me. We don't intend to. We try to do better than that. You say, why are you telling us this, Pastor? So we can all be frustrated and discouraged together. You heard about the policeman who got called to a, to a bridge. A guy was ready to jump off. And he said, hey, buddy, hey, before you do anything, just tell me what's going on. The guy did. He said, hey, pal, reach out my hand and at least tell you my story. And the policeman reached out, took his hand, told him the story. They looked at each other when the policeman was done, and they both jumped. I'm just telling you. <laughs> so we can both be frustrated and discouraged. All I want you to know is this thing of slow progress is something that the devil will beat you over the head with and will beat me over the head. Here's what Jesus wants from us. He just wants us to put down another brick on the spiritual building we're building. It seems repetitive, it seems routine, it doesn't seem impactful, but you put enough bricks down and you've built a wall. You put enough walls down, you've built a building. Got the idea? We, we often want God to show up in the dramatic and the spectacular, and I love it when he does. But strength is built, faith is built. And trusting God to over and over pour in your marriage, over and over pour in your children, over and over pour in your faith, over and over pour in your church, over and over let God pour into you. So that you brick after brick, layer after layer, wall after wall, then you build and becomes full and complete. You can house the glory of God that we sung about. So he talks about this comparison is frustrating. He talks about slow progress is this, this frustrating. Then he gives us three responses, three answers to frustrations and discouragement. Number one, he says, be strong. This is not the Lance Armstrong, be strong. But look at what he says in verse, in verse someplace. I'm lost in my notes. It's up there on, on, on verse. He says, now, Lord, be strong, Zerubbabel. That's the leader. Be strong, Joshua. That's the preacher. Be strong, all the people still left in the land. That's everybody else. Now get to work. I am with you, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. Do you see what it said? Be strong, be strong, be strong, be strong. Listen, this was a very familiar phrase to the Israelites. They understood this phrase, be strong. Anybody from the state of Ohio who is an Ohio State Buckeye fan know that if you go OH, somebody else will go IO. But because my team keeps beating your team, when I go OH, you go, oh no, not again. But we go OH, IO. So they know that in Ohio. All right? In Israel, when they said be strong, they knew it. It was so familiar. Matter of fact, in Haggai, because he was so good at keeping dates, months, and times, and records, we know that this message came at the end of the Feast of the Tabernacles. And one of the chief themes of the 
Feast of the Tabernacles is when God called Moses. And Moses leading the children out of the wilderness. And the transfer of leadership from Moses to Joshua. And God told Moses, be strong. They knew that language. And when Moses assumed leadership, Moses or Joshua, God told Joshua, be strong. I'm telling you, when God says be strong, he says, basically he's saying, all right, get this right. When I'm telling you be strong... I'm simply asking you to be obedient and let my power work through you. That's being strong. When he says be strong, it's simply saying trust God enough. That when you stand, that's one of the definitions of be strong. When you stand, when you persevere, it is God's strength through you that works. Paul would put it this way in the book of Ephesians. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Be strong. Not in your own might, not in your own personality, not in your own charisma. But be strong in the Lord. Be strong. Be strong. Quit backing up. Quit backing down. Quit giving in to emotion. Quit giving in to comparison. Quit comparing your work to somebody else's work. Quit comparing your life to somebody else's life. God loves you, made you uniquely you. And if God does something completely different in everybody else's life than he does in your life, it doesn't mean that he loves you any less for doing what he does in your life than what he does in somebody else's life. Amen? He says, be strong. Be strong. Be strong. Not only does he say be strong, but he also says get to work. He says get back to work. He says change your focus. You're focusing on what the temple used to be. You're focusing on what other people are. You're focusing on the lack of progress. He said just get to work. It changes your perspective changes your perspective it starts to change your attitude starts to change your attitude starts to change your heart starts to change your heart starts to change from the inside out look at the verse here's what the verse says verse four he says now get to work now let me tell you what it means in the hebrew get to work they translated the bible major translation from the hebrew into latin during the time of the romans and the greeks let me tell you what it means in the septuagint or the vulgate the latin version it means get to work when they translated it into completely the greek the septuagint the, the old testament into greek let me tell you what this means get to work now let me tell you what it means in english it really has this unique meaning in english when it says get to work you know what it means it means right now this moment get up get to work get to work get to work quit comparing that's not work grab brick Start doing, start working. Quit looking at what you don't have. Be thankful for what you do have. Go to work. Pick that Bible up and read it. God will help you understand it. Get down on your knees and pray. God listens when you pray. Invite someone to come to church. God will work on their heart. Keep being faithful to your spouse. Keep loving on those kids. Keep being a good witness when you go to work. Work. 
not what you do for Chrysler GM or, or any other company, but your work is as unto the Lord. He, or Ephesians chapter 2 says we are his workmanship created for and unto good works. Not God didn't create you so you could put 40 hours a week in a Ford Chrysler GM. He did that so you could be blessed with money, be a witness into the world. But he did that so you would have the blessing and the opportunity to work in the kingdom of God. He says work. So he says be strong and work. And then he comes and he says finally the third thing is stop being afraid. Now, I really wish, and I can't make it say this, but I really wish it would say, quit being a fraidy cat. But that's not what it means. It just means stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. I don't know what you, makes you afraid. Last week, I told you Wanda's deathly afraid of mice and our pastoral staff just loves on Wanda by putting, well, I'm not going to tell you, but the tall pastor did it again this week. <laughs> Wanda wonderfully made a meal for his family. He brought the pot back, and in the, in the pot was a, oh, it, it was rubber. It wasn't a real one. I mean, it was like, I'm not talking about that kind of afraid. I'm talking about don't be afraid to step out on faith. Don't be afraid to try again. Don't be afraid to go back to work. Don't be afraid to stand strong in your conviction, even though everyone else around you may hold a different opinion biblically. I, I, I'm simply saying stop being afraid. And for pity's sake, let's stop being afraid of the devil. Amen? No, no, no. Let's stop being afraid of the devil. Amen? Amen? Now, let's make sure we understand our theology. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, gave you and I freedom of sin, he gained victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. He descended down into Hades, took the keys of the kingdom away from the devil and all of the forces of evil, and rose triumphantly over death, hell, Satan, and the grave. Date Satan now is a defeated foe. We have no reason to back up from him. We have every reason to stand boldly, confidently in the strength that God has given us through Christ Jesus. So he says, stop being afraid. Jesus would say, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Stop being afraid. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Stop being afraid. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. Stop being afraid. So he says, be strong, get to work. Stop being afraid. And because he realized probably that we needed more help on the last one than we did the first two, because this is kind of like in the heart of us, the soul of us, he gives us Three promises of God why we should stop being afraid. And man, these are, these are rich. He said, first of all, I'm going to shake things up. Look at verses 7 through 9, okay? For this is what, uh, this is actually verse 6. For this is what the Lord of heavens and the army says, in just a little while I will again shake the heavens. And this is a contrast. The heavens and the earth, the ocean and the dry land. 
And then he goes on to verse 7. I will shake all the nations. Now this shake is a violent shaking. I mean, it is like... Man, that felt good. It is a violent shake. It's not a nudge. It's not like how when you were flirting with your, your wife, you know, before you got married and you did that little bump thing. Man, this is a violent... And what he was saying is, listen, there is a day coming. There is a time coming when I'm going to shake everything up. And the way that I have worked in the past will not be the way that I work in the future. I, it, it is going to be so dramatic. It is going to be so incredible that the heavens will be aware of it. The earth will be aware of it. Everything on it, underneath it, all nations will be aware of it when I shake things up. So he says, I'm going to shake things up. The second thing he goes on to say is that God's going to give greater glory. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, he says, I want to shake all things up, treasures in heaven, brought in the earth. And then he goes down, and I will fill the place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Look at verse 8. He says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And then verse 9 comes in and says, the future glory of this temple. Talking about the rubble. Talking about the building that was in disrepair. Talking about the, the building that had lack of progress. Talking about the building that didn't compare to the former glory of Solomon's temple. Haggai is saying, this temple will be greater than the past glory, says the Lord of heavens. And in this place I will bring peace. Now, I, I want you to say just future glory. I was going to have you say the whole thing, but it would be too long. Just say future glory. Future glory. No, no, you sung about glory, but you didn't know what you were singing about. I'm going to give you one more promise why we should stop being afraid. Then I'm going to come back to the future promise or the future glory, and that is God's going to give peace. God's going to shake things up. God's going to give greater glory, and God's going to give peace. All right? Got it? That's the reason you can stop being afraid. That's the reason you can go back to work. Those are the reasons that you can be strong. Is because the promises of God are true. You say, when did that happen? You say, when, when did all of this come about? Oh, my goodness. Let me help you understand it. The theme of God's presence and the message of Haggai is I am with you. That's the message of Haggai. The message of Haggai is I am with you. But that's not just the message of Haggai. That is a central theology and a central doctrine of the entire Bible. And here God said something that they just couldn't get their minds up. God said the glory of this temple, this debris-filled temple, is going to be greater than the glory of the former temple. And they thought God had must have been spoken. So God restates it his purpose and he says no in verse 9 the glory of this temple is going to exceed the glory of the former temple they kept saying no it won't be God says yeah it will be they had no idea that God was actually foreshadowing a great new testament truth of his love 
You see, all throughout the Old Testament, what happens in the physical realm is often a picture of what happens in the spiritual realm in the New Testament. That's called foreshadowing. And God shows physically what he will do spiritually, and God shows naturally what he will do supernaturally. In the Old Testament, it's naturally. In the New Testament, it's supernaturally. So here's what happens. God has always wanted to be with his people. So he created a beautiful heaven and a beautiful earth. He created a beautiful man and a beautiful woman, Adam and Eve, so he could be with them. So his presence could be with them, but they sinned. And God still so wanted to be with humanity that he said, all right, build this tabernacle thing. So you, since your sinfulness keeps you from participating in my holiness, we're going to shield my holiness from you, but I still want to be in the midst of you. I want to be with you. So they built the tabernacle so the glory of God could still be with his people. David wanted to take that temporary tabernacle, that temporary portable temple, and make it a permanent structure, gave Solomon all the resources to do it, encouraged him in saying in in Chronicles, be strong, be of good courage. This is what the Lord has given to thy hand to do. And so they built this wonderful structure, but that wasn't the latter glory. Then it was destroyed and they rebuilt it at Haggai's day. That's what we're talking about now. But all, listen, let me tell you, there was a day when all heaven and earth was shaken up. Because there was a night when the angels appeared out of nowhere to shepherds on a hillside and said, fear not, stop being afraid. Why? Because I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you this day, born in the city of David, is a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Do you understand what that means? That God no longer resides in the heaven. God no longer resides in a temple. God no longer resides in a garden. God no longer resides in a tabernacle. God now resides in flesh and blood of Jesus Christ who came to this earth to show us what God is like. But there's more. I mean, that is glorious enough. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 12, he was standing in the, or he was speaking and they were talking about the temple. And Jesus said, one greater than the temple is here, is with you. And then Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He died on the cross for my sins. And on the third day, there was a violent shaking in the cosmos. On the third day, in the spiritual world, there was this violent shaking going on. For as hard as the devil tried to keep him in... The power of Satan, the power of the grave, the power of death, the power of sin could not contain, could not control, could not diminish, could not tarnish the power of God. And up from the grave, he arose on that third day, walked among us in a glorified body, ascended to heaven. And then he left us a promise. The angels looking, talking to the disciples and watching everybody watch Jesus go up. I would watch Jesus go up too said, this same Jesus you've seen will come again in like manner. But now you got work to do. Be strong. Don't be afraid. Go to Jerusalem and tarry there until you be endued with power from on high. That takes us to Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit came down and birthed the church 
at that day of Pentecost. And all of a sudden, the heavens were shaken again. All of a sudden, the nations trembled again. All of a sudden, the way that God dealt with people was, was completely different. It was no longer through Old Testament prophets and kings and priests. Now it was with the Holy Spirit of God through the work and ministry of Jesus Christ that when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, the living presence of God now abides in our hearts. That's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that your body is the temple of the Lord. Because God now resides in you. You're not God, but the Spirit of God, the, the Christ-likeness of God, the holiness of God, the glory of God dwells, lives within you, and He will never leave you, the Bible says. Never forsake you, so be strong. Keep on working. Don't be afraid. God is with us. God is with us. That is the wonderful message of the gospel. That no matter how discouraged you get because everybody else is doing whatever it is better than you, God is with you. And no matter how lack the slow the progress, and no matter how frustrated you may be, you don't have to quit. You don't have to wake up wondering if it is ever worth it because the God of creation has promised us that he is with us and that we now are the temple of the Lord. Amen? Would you pray with me, please? Father, for frustrated people, discouraged people, tired people, people who are wondering if it's even worth it anymore, God, speak to our hearts. God, give us the strength to be strong and grab another brick and keep building our marriage. God, help us to grab another brick and get back to work because you love us and you care. God, help us to grab another brick and pour into our children. God, have, help us to have the courage to get back to work and, and, and plug into a ministry in the church. But God, there may be somebody here this morning who doesn't have that life-giving freedom that comes from knowing Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, why not right there where you sit, invite him into your heart because his whole plan throughout history is that he wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him. That's what heaven's all about. You being with him forever. Him being with you forever. That's what the cross was all about. Making a way for you to be with him and him to be with you forever. That's what the temple and the tabernacle and the Garden of Eden was all about. Trying to make a way for you and I to be with him forever. And he loves you that much. He cares about you that much. So why not right there where you sit? Why not right now? Why not just pray this prayer, inviting Christ into your heart? Pray the prayer, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Help me to be strong and live for you. Help me to work at growing in my faith. And help me not to be afraid of what others say or the questions I may have that I don't have the answers to. Let me just keep building this life of faith with your strength, with your word, just brick after brick, layer after layer. Because I always want to live in your presence. And I want your presence to always live in my heart. Man, if you pray that prayer, man, I would love to talk with you. I'll be out in the foyer We'll sit down at one of the tables behind the information center and just chat and talk it up. But man, I know there's some of you, you're discouraged.
I know there's some of you, man, you just feel weak and you can't possibly pick up another brick and put it on the wall again. You're so frustrated of what you don't have or what you do have. I just want to tell you there is somebody that is with you who tremendously, desperately, passionately cares about you. And there's a wonderful verse in the Bible that says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for each and every one of us. And man, if you just need to cast your cares on Jesus, this one who cares for you.